politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and everything that matters in the way it matters. At the time it matters, for those who are voiceless, we give you guys a voice here at Sierra Podcast. Blaze Media, Daniel Horowitz back here today for Tuesday, May 23rd. And I am a little bit voiceless today, a little bit uh, raspy, just uh, kind of lost half my voice. But I'm sure all of you, on a daily basis, feel voiceless. And I want to continue some of the conversation we had yesterday, but transpose it into the debt ceiling and some of the important issues of the day. We need a megaphone. We need a national advocate. We need a voice. This is what's lacking more than anything. It's, it's not a senator, a governor, a mayor, a congressman, and even a president. It's a national advocate. We don't have a voice. Trump promised to be that voice. He's not. And that's really why I'm the most bullish on DeSantis, not so much as a president, but as party leader, movement leader. Because right now, I'm looking around at the landscape of the biggest action items, the biomedical security state, the debt ceiling, the um, transhumanism, immigration, the weaponization, persecution, January 6th. There's no giant megaphone or, or group of 10, 20, 30 influential people that are on the ball. Before I delve into the debt ceiling, I just want to start by saying this. Generally speaking, we have a gun to Kevin McCarthy's head. So we are in a better position to actually force brinkmanship. But the problem with this is, and I've always said this, we always kind of joked around because we never were able to get to this position. What would happen if the dog caught the car? That we got the Republican Party to force us going past the so-called deadline on the debt ceiling or on a budget funding bill with the specter of a government shutdown. Let's say we got what we wanted. We might be able to get leverage to force them into the fight. But how do you get a party that doesn't believe in what we believe in, understand what we understand, to articulate our message to the American people to actually win that fight. And that's where I feel we are with the debt ceiling. We might be able to force McCarthy into this fight, but it's like they're all off message. And, and from day one, they haven't messaged the right thing. So I want to uh, contrast what I'm concerned about with what they're doing, what they're focusing on versus what they should be focusing on. And maybe we'll we'll take that to COVID, some other issues as well, but all wrapped in this point that we don't have a national advocate like the left has. Well, they don't have one. They don't need one. They have many. And that's really what we're lacking. Again, take the talking point of conservative media per day. It's rarely focused on the leverage point that matters at that moment, on the issues that matter. But either way, we are going to be screwed financially. The next big COVID thing is going to be likely the collapse of the dollar along with an energy-related lockdown. <clears throat> we'll talk about that. So that is why now more than ever, it is a good time to diversify with gold. It is a timeless treasure that you need now more than ever. I recommend Birch Gold Group. Why? Because 
what they do and they specialize in and I've done is converting either your existing or new IRA or 401k into precious metals, gold and silver, and they give you a certain, you know, mixture. They'll advise you. You text Daniel to 989898. You'll get real professional economists on the phone, you know, not some like random guy in India. And they will guide you through that process of converting it so it's not sitting in Vanguard or something like that, like I was doing for years. Um, you get about 7500 a year for an IRA, and then you have your 401k as well. And it is going to be held in a safety deposit box in places like Delaware, Dallas. I think there's a place in Nevada they have. So you will have that on hand when, frankly, money might turn to dust. Um this is this is real. This is going down. Anyway, they have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Add your name to that list by texting Daniel to 989898 today. So the, the big problem that I've been seeing is that they're negotiating against themselves. The Republicans passed a common-sense bill that they rallied around. It will give you $1.5 trillion in debt increase for a simple, you know, getting rid of the Funding of the 80,000 IRS agents, getting rid of the Green New Deal, which is the biggest thing that not only is going to cost over a trillion, but it's new. It's not like Social Security and Medicare embedded in society. And it's the biggest thing that's going to drive up private debt because it's going to drive inflation, scarcity, energy is the lifeblood of an economy. Among several other things, they you know cut back spending, froze spending at FY 2022 Spending caps, I would have rather they start negotiations from pre-COVID baseline FY 2020 um, because that's really the, the, the main increase. But okay, fine. But then they're like, Biden, you need to negotiate. You need to negotiate. You're going to be responsible for default. We're very concerned you're going to default. You're going to default. You're going to default. And the problem is, A, that point is not true about default, and B... It's not the operative message. Like, when you have a fight of chicken, the point is, I am right. You're destroying us with woke, weaponized government, bankrupt, uh, bankrupting us and creating inflation, destroying our liberty, taking away the ability of anyone in the middle class to afford a life with dignity, housing, food, fuel, the American car, health care. That needs to be the message. And, and I've already said that, that I believe that of all things, the Green New Deal is the best talking point. It unites the right. It, um, it speaks to the debt. It speaks to the private debt, the, the pain to the individual. It's really something that you could have a fight over. And it would have necessitated the Republicans already for two months messaging about that. And then other things like... Throwing our money to Ukraine. Really, we're going to have this whole thing about default and 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 prioritizing payments when you sit and have billions of dollars every week to Ukraine and funding illegal aliens. It's that type of thing. Meaning, I would have prioritized the debt ceiling to the most winning sort of spending issues and then save the government funding bill for September that fight for things like the biomedical security state, DOJ, the persecution, spying, censorship, surveillance state, and things like that. 
because that's more of a policy issue of we're not going to fund things that aren't through our values, not so much a broad debt issue. So, but either way, it's about the quality of the spending. Instead, what I'm seeing is they're just making it about a top line. So if you look at the, the reports out in the media, it's basically they're fighting over, now they're like, you know, we want to freeze spending at FY 2022, and Biden's offering freezing at FY 2024. So it's one of these, it's like, you know, either way, it's kind of nebulous. And then Republicans are demanding permitting reform. And maybe one other thing. But like I said, getting rid of the green energy stuff is a bigger deal than having more drilling. It really is. That's not the point. And oh, and then and then kind of the contours of work requirements for food stamps and maybe TANF. That's a cash welfare program. And you know there's gonna be a lot of loopholes in that, and, and they're just kind of hashing out that. And and officially McCarthy told his conference today they're at an impasse there that that you know uh, we're not optimistic. But yeah, I mean, because they're still fighting over that. The Democrats don't want to even agree to that. But they've already come down to a point where it's almost meaningless. It's almost like they just want to say we got some sort of spending cut. Again, you know, work requirements for welfare is is an oldie but a goodie. But it's not the issue of our time. It really is more the discretionary agencies that matter. And I think that always needed to be the messaging. You're funding woke, bureaucratic, regulatory agencies, creating inflation, destroying Americans. You're funding illegals. You're funding Ukraine. You're funding IRS agents. You're funding the demise of American energy, which is the root of the inflation, the Green New Deal. That needed to be the messaging. You start going into welfare. We agree on that. It's just not the issue. McCarthy says, I told the president three things. No clean debt limit, no raising taxes, spend less money. That, that's kind of no raising taxes. I mean, that's not even part of it. No clean debt limit, meaning that means not get no, you know, nothing, spend less money. That's not really the message. That's not really the message. So that that that's that's number one. Then I want to deal with the default issue. The default issue. That's becoming a big problem. See, until now, Republicans or conservatives were always like, we don't care. The bigger problem is you are bankrupting us today. You have unconstitutional, harmful, illegal government, and we're not funding it. You don't, you don't discuss what would happen if you don't. You discuss... You, you don't accentuate the Democrats talking about. Our point is, we need to stop runaway government. Their point is, oh my gosh, we're going to have either on an appropriation bill, government shutdown, or on this default. And Republicans are like, yeah, we passed the bill, you're causing default. You're the one. It's, it's like, you're the real racist type of GOP talking point. That, that, that's not the point. I mean, it might be appropriate to bring that up here and there. That's not the point. But moreover, it's not true. And the more they raise the specter of default, the more they're going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy 
of, of it and the market's going haywire, the more it will spook the weak Republicans, the more they're going to cave. So someone needs to get up there and articulate that this point is not true. And I, I want to give you a little bit of the math on this. But first, our sponsor today, our next one, speaking of weaponized government, big tech, big data, and big government have shown us time and time again that when we give them access to our personal records, they will use them. And the reality is, even when your phone is turned off, the microphones and cameras and location trackers still work. Okay? So there are many ways they can hack into it. That's why I use Refuge Ghost Sleeve. It's a beautiful, nice feeling. So it's like feels nice in your pocket. It's made of American buffalo leather. It blocks 5G signals um, that other Faraday sleeves miss. And it's the only Faraday sleeve I know of that blocks the signal and the sound. So they added sound blocking panels on each side that keeps conversations private. Um, it, it, the good thing is it's not like a clunky metal box. It looks cool, cool. It feels great. Easy to put in your uh, pocketbook if you're a woman or you know, a pocket. Um, you can't be too careful these days. That's the bottom line. I mean, it's very sad we're living in these times. But you know, we're talking about how, to, how do we message and force elected leaders into a fight over our values. These are things that you can do yourself. So visit refugepolicy.com today. Use promo code Daniel to save 10% on your order. That's R-E-F-U-G-E, privacy, refugeprivacy.com, promo code Daniel for 10% off. So Republicans keep going out and saying, I'm concerned Biden's, I even heard Ted Cruz say on Squawk Box CNBC, you know, I'm concerned Biden doesn't have the mental capabilities to deal with this. We're going to default. The, the, the problem is like trying to blame them for default. That's not going to help. I'm just telling you because Republicans are going to get spooked by it and they're going to cave. There's a couple of talking points I want to get out. Number one, number one, you wouldn't have a default. It is demonstrably false. Every Republican needs to have uh, the, the Wall Street Journal put out a chart, like a bar chart. They had the revenue compared to outlays for the month of June. And the outlays one had subdivisions divided up by each kind of, you know, what's viewed as the critical, important payments that government has to make. Okay? So, as, as I noted, the Republicans need to make this very clear. There's three levels. There's default on interest on the debt. Then there's what's considered vital, critical payments that people would go crazy if they didn't get, like Social Security and Medicare. And then there's things that, you know, nationally are very popular, like paying the military, paying the soldiers. And then there's things that would just cause kind of a government shutdown of the discretionary, you know, bureaucratic agencies. That's a government shutdown that is not a default. So number one, let's talk about default. Interest on the debt, as long as you pay it, there is no default. They will never run out of enough money for that. Now, the problem is if you don't force a balanced budget now, eventually we won't be able to even pay the interest. But now, even though it's much elevated, we can still pay it. We have enough revenue that typically covers 75% of what our government wants to spend. Now, most of it, if the public would be 
if the Republicans would message properly. Now, I don't know if you can get 25% cut out, but you can get 15% cut out. So you'd have a rolling shutdown on certain agencies. And frankly, that would be a good thing. Frankly, uh, here's another messaging point. If I were Kevin McCarthy, I'd say, you shut down the private sector. You shut down our lives. And you have the nerve to talk about, cry about pain over a partial government shutdown? Are you freaking kidding me? The American people lived through this shutdown of their lives, businesses, funerals of their grandparents, life cycle events canceled. No one even knows when there's a government shutdown. Particularly when we're suffering from this debt bomb, this inflation bomb, because of that very shutdown and the spending that was implemented to facilitate that. That needs to be the message. But again, it takes a leader, one that we don't yet have, and DeSantis is the only one looming that could possibly has demonstrated that he's willing to lead on messaging in addition to certainly, like we talked about yesterday, implementation and follow-through on the issues. We don't have that. This is the problem. So we have a gun against McCarthy's head. A bunch of Freedom Caucus members said, if you don't stand by the elements of that bill, we will not vote for it. So he's got a big problem. And he's already committed to a majority of the majority rule. Anyway, you have three members of the Rules Committee, Massey, Chip Roy, and Ralph Norman, who could block the entire ability to even bring it to the floor. They could do so many things. McCarthy ultimately cannot get support without people like Massey and Chip. Okay, that, 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 that is the, the reality. But what is said is that you can't give McCarthy a brain transplant. Things that he doesn't either believe or understand. And they, 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 they just get out and speak Washingtonian language that doesn't resonate with the public. But here's the math. In the month of June, so, so they're saying, and the Republicans are agreeing to this point, that, June, that on June 1st, there's a default. And that's simply not true. That's a verifiably false statement. There will never be a default. There will never be a time where they won't be able to pay Social Security and Medicare. And as far as how deep the cuts have to be made and the shutdown of other things will depend by day. So basically, generally speaking, government could fund, in addition to Medicare Medicaid, and Social Security, they could actually fund Medicaid, VA, DOD, transportation, and, and a few other things. Now, that will depend because the, the revenue infusions come on the 15th and 30th of the months. So you have days where there's weaker cash flow than others. So you might have certain delayed payments. Again, default is not. Because by the way, my understanding is, again, I, I'm not 100% schooled on this stuff. But just my understanding is, you know, when you start getting to the granular day-to-day -day cash flow of the treasury is that the interest payments on the treasury securities that come due happen to be on the same day as the revenue. So not only is interest on the debt a fraction of the budget that certainly we have enough tax revenue to, to, um, to pay for, but it comes in 
when there's a lot of revenue. So the interest payments are due June 30, June 15th and June 30th, the same day that they get the tax revenue. That's number one. So if you look totality, and I understand you have to look day-to-day cash flow, it will matter a little bit more, but there will be $495 billion in revenue in June, which is more than average. Still more than average. Later in the year, it will wane more. $495 billion in revenue. Do you know how much interest on the debt is for June? $15 billion. May and June are, the, I think, the lowest payment months. Now, July is going gonna, is gonna to be a huge boost. Tons of interest on the debt. But then there's going to be much more revenue as well. They kind of work together. So interest on debt is never going to be a problem. But for this month, $495 billion in revenue, $15 billion interest payments. That interest is paid in June. The default is a lie. Well, Daniel, okay, there's no default. But what about Social Security? $101 billion. What about Medicare? $126 billion. What about military? $33 billion. Okay? So that takes you to about, I want to say, $275 billion for the month of June for DOD, interest on the debt, Medicare, and Medicaid. No, no, I'm sorry. Medicare, not Medicaid, Medicare and Social Security, $275 billion out of the 495 so it's a lot more left. Medicaid, VA, would easily be covered. And then some discretionary, so you could have a little bit of state, a little bit of transportation, a little bit of, um, you know... The parts of DOJ you want to fund, the U.S. Marshals, whatever. But this is the message. The American people need to, the, the, the Republicans need to say, this is what the American people do when you run out of debt. You start prioritizing. Now, you might have to take out a new line of credit for a very expensive interest, but you're going to do it on the least amount that you need to on the biggest priorities only after you got rid of the other stuff. And let's say, you know, I don't know, you're taking care of uh, your second cousins that are a bunch of bums. Well, if you're defaulting yourself, you're going to cut that. They need to talk about things like Ukraine and illegal aliens and the new, the, the, the Green New Deal. Again, I am very much for personal responsibility and ending the welfare state. But to me... We have other things that are more of a winning message than looking like you're going to cause American people pain. Not that I believe you have an entitlement to welfare without work. I just don't think that's the lead messaging. It's just bizarre. It's a little bit bizarre to me. But this is the truth of the matter. You know, the Pentagon has has, um, announced they overestimated the value of the weapons they sent to Ukraine by at least $3 billion. Oh, so we didn't... They're like, hey, we thought we sent more, but we didn't. Here's another $3 billion. Do you know how insane that is in the context of the battle we're having now? But Kevin McCarthy will not touch it. I mean, because Kevin doesn't share our values on that. He supports Ukraine. But I just wanted to tell you something cool. Do you know how they... did When they say, oh, we didn't give them enough money... It doesn't mean, oh, we meant to give them $10 billion, but we only gave them $7 billion. Oh, no, they gave it to them all right. 
But what they call an accounting error, they mean that they're they're, uh, talking about replacement cost versus net book value. So they're saying, no, we don't want to estimate it based on net uh, based on replacement cost. Replacement cost means, look, you send them a bunch of F-16s that let's say cost, you know, a billion dollars, okay? So the way you estimate that is, how, well, we're depleting our own arsenal, which is a big problem, by the way. It's an easy talking point for the American people that Republicans won't make. There's tons of data and, and reports and analysis out there talking about our weaponry shortage, But anyway, how much would it cost for us to replace it? If we had to buy those 15 F-16s we gave them, what would it cost? A billion dollars. That's how we should account for it. No, no, no. They're saying, no, it's the net book value. You see, we're not giving them brand new planes. Once it goes off the off the lot, off the, you know, airfield, you know, like let's say, let's say I sell you a car. Well, the minute you drive it off the lot, it, it plummets precipitously and it, its value plummets, right? So like we're accounting it against ourselves. Oh, so we're only giving them rather than a billion, it's really, you know, on, on that purchase, let's say it would be 700 million. Like what the heck? But that comes out of our pocket. What do you mean? <laughs> Ukraine's only getting, they're not getting brand new stuff. It's off the uh, off the airfield. <laughs> like what the hell? But for us, we'd have to replace it. With the full cost. So they're saying, so we didn't wind up giving them everything we promised, and now we're going to backload another $3 billion to make up for it. You can't freaking make this stuff up. 80% of the American people would be would be lit over this, even, even Democrat voters, if they would understand the absurdity and giving it to another country. This is the type of messaging they need. But the problem is they're incapable of it. They're incapable of it because they don't believe it. And this is the problem. I've been I've been talking to friends about this who have been in the trenches with me in the budget fights over the years. What do you do if we actually got the power to force them into a fight? You know, and leadership would listen to us, but at the end of the day, leadership doesn't really understand what we believe in. And they're just going to message it like a bunch of buffoons. If you listen to yesterday's show, you know what I'm driving at. This is why we need a national advocate for our issues, strategies, and messaging and values. We've been lacking this for years. Since Reagan, for the issues of his time, we've never really had that. So we've been just, you know, you had Rush Limbaugh here and there, then we turned to Fox News, we turned this, then we turned to Trump. We just don't have it. And speaking of Trump, so we need someone articulating this. Instead, we get Trump talking about cable news shows and and polls. I mean, we don't have time for this garbage. Trump literally puts this out this morning. Laura Ingram on Fox News just did a hit piece on me. There go her ratings. Showing polls which indicate Ron DeSanctimonious may do better against Biden than I would. When actually polls show that I do much better against Biden than Rob. The poll you're looking at now, which has me doing far better against Crooked Joe, was just put out by Fox. 
I'm sure unhappily. I'm also leading DeSanctus by over 40 points in the primary voting. Watch Greg Kelly on Newsmax at 10 p.m. Like, I, again, I, if you disagree with me, Daniel Horowitz at, at startmail.com is my email. What do you see in this man? This is psychotic. It, it's nuts. What the hell is that? By the way, Laura Ingram carried water for him for a decade. She was one of his big attack dogs in 2016. I mean, she stayed with him. It's not like she attacked him. She just showed, showed a poll. And that is true. Every single reputable poll, the same ones that show Trump ahead in the primary, you can't, you can't, you know, take pick and choose what you want, showed DeSantis would be a stronger um, candidate in, in uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, particularly Arizona and Georgia and Nevada. But whatever, that's neither here nor there. We need a guy messaging the issues every day, giving our side of the story. And this is what we've lacked for so, so long. So that's that's a debt ceiling part, just to give you an update. I don't like that where they're headed. On the other hand, I feel we do have the ability to blow it up. But if you don't message it properly, everyone's going to panic over this fake default. And it could be they'll purposely not pay the interest. But if they're not called out on it ahead of time and people dem- and the Republicans demonstrate the numbers that they have in terms of revenue and outlays, they're going to lose this fight. We need a messenger. But anyway, our next segment is sponsored by our friends at Barrel Buddy. They have made, for me, cleaning guns more pleasurable, more efficient, and cleaner than ever before. It's something you all have to do as a serious gun owner, but everyone hates doing it. Um, when you run you know, 500 to 1,000 rounds through your firearm, you should go ahead and give it a bath. Not in a bathtub. <laughs> don't don't quote me on that, but you know what I mean. The boar snakes don't work as well, and the cloths are just messy and often leave lint in, which is not safe. Barrel Buddy compresses a cartridge to fill the interior of your gun's barrel. It gives you a uniform application of the cleaning solvent, and then you run another cartridge through to give you a, a nice 360-degree uniform application of lube because you never want to lube too much. Um, people are always scared to do that, but you don't have to be scared. You know, cleaning a gun is pretty easy. It cleans by scrubbing, collecting the particles, then it absorbs any remaining residue. It was created by three great patriots in Michigan, Jim, Eric, and Paul, who really love this show, share our values. They're one of us. They don't get enough notoriety for their product in the gun industry, in my view. It's just 15 bucks for 50 Barrel Buddy cartridges. So go to Barrel Buddy. Dot com today. That's B-A-R-R-E-L-B-U-D-D-Y.com today. Never leave your gun uncleaned. So guys, I want to continue the discussion. Moving a little bit away from the debt ceiling, we're talking about why it's so important we make the Green New Deal the next issue and the big issue with the debt ceiling. But in general, it's not just kind of like cronyism or, yeah, it's not so smart. This is going to be COVID on steroids. This is the next lockdown. And you might say, well, come on, you know, lockdowns have been repudiated. No one's going to do that again. Well, what if you have no choice? What if they just shut off all of your power and legitimately they create? It's contrived, but it's real. 
a shortage of vital goods and services and energy and electricity and cars. Well, that is the permanent new normal. That is the Great Reset. And and, and this is the problem with people that fail to address COVID fascism. It's not just about COVID or even the next pandemic that they're going to create, which they will. Tedros, the WHO dude, was out there warning about that again, that there's going to be a more deadly pandemic. And again, he would know. But there's this German paper out there titled The Obligation of Policymakers Facilitating Environmentally Friendly Behavior. And it was translated in a piece by this guy who has a substack, Eugipius, E-U-G-Y-P-P-I-U-S. It's also cross-posted at dailyskeptic.org. Although, this from their report, although the key environmental crises such as loss of biodiversity and climate change are less directly visible and tangible than the energy crisis and the pandemic, environmental policymakers can learn from the sometimes painful but also important experiences of recent years. Behavioral changes in the population can be a part of the solution to crises such as these, and it is possible to adopt and implement policies aimed at changing behaviors. They go on to say earlier, Germany imposed far-reaching pandemic measures to contain the spread of corona. Since 2020, the state adopted and imposed various lockdowns and social contact limitations, both highlight the contribution of behavioral changes, whether in energy consumption or social behavior, to the project of combating a collective problem. That, that, That in a nutshell really sums up their ideology, their blueprint, their plan, their endgame. The two crises show that political measures to carefully restrict the behavior of citizens are possible if the threat is correspondingly great and the importance of the protected good, and these examples, health and energy, is recognized. It's, possible, it's, all, it's also clearly possible for these policies to be designed and communicated in such a way that the majority support them. See, a lot of people think like, oh, I'm not going to fall for this again. But they're not stupid. They're not going to come with the exact same play. It's the same goal. They want to change social behavior. They will use media and NGOs and tech to convince people, the majority of people, to do stupid things. Might be a different issue for a different way. But they are definitely doing it with energy. This is from Australia. Um, Gold Coast News, private vehicle usage must be halved to cut emissions, Climate Council says. The country's reliance on private vehicles needs to drop by more than half for the country to play its part in slashing global global emissions by, you guessed it, 2030. 81% of trips are made in private vehicles across Australia. But the report says that would need to drop to 36% by the end of the decade. Climate Council recommends the nation should aim to reduce emissions by 75% and reach net zero by 2035. Our vision of the future is that one of of those be replaced by an EV and the other one could be substituted altogether by a mix of trips using 
active and public transport like walking, riding, and rolling. We've said this many times that they're not stupid. They know EVs aren't even expensive and practical, stupid. It's not going to happen. Okay? It's not going to happen. They don't want you to replace every car with an EV, as crazy as that is. They want to replace cars with no cars. And again, this is why this needs to be the important message. Um, Because without it, we're screwed. And I just feel like we don't have someone properly warning that they are on the cusp of getting rid of the American automobile and everything it represents and other vital products and services. That's what the debt ceiling should be about. All right, so connected to this, one other thing I wanted to talk about from last week I didn't get to, the fact that Republicans have not changed. For all the pomp and talk about the Trump era, we are stuck with the same establishment Republicans in almost every, every governor's mansion. Kevin Stitt, he never saw a green energy project he didn't like. He's literally the opposite of DeSantis. So he's groveling to get every woke industry into his state without commensurately trying to change the culture of the state. So um, they bragged about signing an agreement with Panasonic to add 3,500 jobs. On the one yard line, we're on the one yard line with the international clean energy company NL, E-N-E-L, for a solar panel manufacturing facility. So it's a two-for-one. It's crony woke capital that will help tighten the noose around our necks on net zero. Lovely. This is Oklahoma for you. So a bunch of um, conservative state reps and senators sent a letter to... um, to the governor who is promoting woke capital on taxpayers' dime. Recent passage of a massive tax credit to encourage a company to build a new nearly $4 billion manufacturing facility in Oklahoma with the promise of thousands of new jobs has the potential of being a great economic win for the state. However, the business in question, known as Project Ocean, has taken positions in the past that clearly run counter to our commonly held Oklahoma beliefs. Financial and public backing for ESG and support of worldwide social credit industry is troubling. It is a declaration of their embrace of the woke culture that has been dividing American society rather than bringing us together. If their position was to make sure that all individuals, whatever their sexual orientation, are treated fairly in in the workplace, that would not be an issue. Unfortunately, they have called for advocacy and activism specifically in support of the LGBTQ plus community. You know, I, I appreciate these conservatives writing the letter, but why do they have to echo their talking points and then keep adding this stuff? They sound like idiots. Uh, this company is expected to benefit from tax credits paid for by Oklahoma. In light of it, it's our hope that this company and other companies utilizing tax credits footed by our constituents will refrain from promoting this kind of lifestyle. So, I mean, folks, this is the problem. I mean... This is the moral hazard you have with all of conservative radio, not just 
articulating DeSantis's vision, but but now because they want to support Trump, they're shadow boxing his message, his success. Because putting Trump aside, putting the presidential election aside, we need a message that other governors need to be pressured to be like this. Instead, if you want to know why red states are merely states that have banned abortion and have loose gun laws, but otherwise, and lower taxes, but often to attract woke business, but otherwise are totally like blue states, this is why. It's going to continue happening. And I'm going to keep pointing this out. And by the way, just speaking of the presidential election, I just want to point out um, one thing. Tim Scott got in the race yesterday. Now, I, I don't want to spend too much time because he's irrelevant. But he, again, he's emblematic of everything wrong in the Republican Party. He sells himself as a black conservative and everyone's all rah, rah, rah. And... This is the problem when we don't have advocates and we don't have a media that actually promotes our issues in a way that you cannot co-opt them. You either have to legitimately be part of us or be caught on the other side, and then our voters will know who's with us and who's against us. It's very common. You know, I've asked the question, do our voters really want what we want? They just don't know the who's who, or do they just want the show? But more and more, I meet people, and they genuinely don't know. I met a guy I haven't... I bumped into, you know, in my neighborhood. I haven't seen him in a while. And any regular conservative voter, you know, he wants what I want. If, if I would give him the information, he would totally agree with it. And he asked me about Tim Scott. He's like, hey, what do you think of him? And I said, like, I said, you know, he's into this whole racial grievance thing that there's too many blacks incarcerated. He works on radical de-incarceration with Cory Booker. He, um, he even blocked... He blocked two of Trump's nominees, literally blocked them for racial grievances. It's unbelievable. People forget about this. I wrote about it at the time. There was a Ninth Circuit nominee that both Rubio and Tim Scott blocked. Um, and, and they waited till the last minute. They didn't even warn the White House and the, the party leadership. This was in 2017. Trump nominated Ryan Bounds to a vacant Oregon seat on uh, the Ninth Circuit. He was at the time like an assistant uh, DA or or U.S. you know federal prosecutor in Oregon. Um, he clerked for like the most conservative, one of the few conservative judges on the Ninth Circuit. And Democrats were digging up the college writings of you know from this guy Bounds. And Bounds basically wrote some sort of paper on just the stupidity of all these student college ethnic groups. And he, and he made the point that, you know, um, white students seem to be doing fine without an Aryan student union. It's like, so why do we need this black, this gay, this? You know, we don't have a white student union. He wasn't advocating for it. He was saying it's good we don't have it, so let's not have anything else. The, see, the problem we have on the court is the same thing we have with elected Republicans. Most of them, a few exceptions, but most Republican judges are PC. So they'll be with us on some issues, but they won't have the guts to really go after the core constitutional issues. Because remember, most of the big things that are killing us in the 14th Amendment are the issues that are enmeshed in racial grievances. So they don't have the guts to like do like Clarence Thomas to say – 
our entire racial agenda in the 14th Amendment is BS and made up. He says it all the time, but very few others will. You know, Kavanaugh certainly won't do it. So you have a lot of these Republican appointees to the lower federal courts that are kind of like Kavanaugh's. So this guy would have been like, that's the guy you want. Everyone's like, oh, I want a stealth nominee who doesn't have any writings so we could just glide it past the Democrats. But I always said, if you're fooling the Democrats, you're fooling conservatives too. If you don't have a paper trail of a guy being a culture warrior, he's not going to be it. That's just the reality. And there's one thing if Democrats have control of the Senate, but Republicans had a control. So there was no need for that. But then again, there was. Because people like Tim Scott, who was regarded as like the top 10 conservatives in the Senate, he downed the nomination. It's unbelievable. And of course, Bounds was forced to apologize and cry at his confirmation hearing. But then at the last minute, Rubio and Tim Scott totally sandbagged the nomination. It was unbelievable. And again, the key thing is, now the Democrats know, whenever you have a Republican president, how to pick the lock on judicial nominations. Again, any true originalist, if they really are one, not a fake one, will have writings that upset the political correctness cartel, by definition, okay? Um, So that's who you're going to want. At the time, Rubio and Scott claimed they were upset that Bounds failed to disclose his writings to the committee. But Bounds was explicitly told at the time that he only had to disclose his writings from law school, which makes sense. This was undergraduate. So what's next? So will Rubio and Scott demand that we see their writings from middle school? So, I mean, this was a big thing he did. I don't want to get too, too far into that. But the point is, Tim Scott gets up there. He has this whole, like, charismatic streak. And listen, amen, amen, let me hear it. Grievance or greatness? That's what he said. Do, do, do we want grievance or greatness? This is a man who earned his keep off of racial grievance. He's, he's, he's a reflection of Nikki Haley. You know how Nikki Haley says, we can't talk about identity politics, and then a second later, she'll say, let the best woman win. I'm a female, I'm a female, whatever, woman of color. She'll literally say that in the same sentence. She says she's against identity politics. So Tim Scott's the same thing. There's also another thing going on. Notice Trump praised Tim Scott. I don't know why none of my colleagues call him out for that. Why is Trump praising Vivek, Scott, Haley, and everyone else? Do, do you know that Trump endorsed Tim Scott more recently than for office than he endorsed DeSantis? Why is that not disloyalty? Now again, obviously you and I both know that he's not scared of them. He's scared of DeSantis and he wants a number of people to dilute the vote. But this is something that's disgusting that's going on. Just so you know, so so people like Tim Scott, everyone knows, if you would catch him privately, he's disgusted by someone like Trump. And not really for the reasons you and I are. But they, like, you know, because they want to, you know, party like it's the GOP of uh, Gerald Ford, you know, <laughs> like it's 1977 or something. That That's what they want. That's what Tim Scott, Mike Pence, all these people... You listen to them and you would think it's it's like, you know, 40 years ago or something. They're like, I want to be a happy warrior. Well, gee, how could you be happy with everything going on unless you agree with it, which they do. And that's why they're not bothered by it because they're not bothered. They, they agree with it. 57-year-old, never married, no kids. 
tanked some of our best nominees for the courts. But he claims to be against Trump. But then what they're doing is they're facilitating Trump. I want you to be prepared for this moral hazard. There is an incentive for everyone from every wing of the party, both elected and also kind of outside talkers, whatever, to dump on DeSantis. Why? Why, Daniel? Don't you, don't the, can't we benefit from some unholy alliance with the establishment that, you know, they might not like DeSantis, but at least they want to get rid of Trump. They know he can't win. Just the opposite. Now, there are some people that want to win, some donors that want to win. But all these people like Tim Scott, and I would suspect possibly more like Greg Abbott and, and, and Christy Nome, they are going to side with Trump and dump on DeSantis, and some might even run for president. Why? Because they know Trump won't attack them because Trump will welcome diluting the anti-Trump vote, right? Because Trump has the biggest floor of support. So mano a mano against DeSantis, DeSantis would have better than even odds defeating him. But, you know, you, you have all these guys. Now, they're not going to gain traction. The voters don't broadly don't want to hear them. But if they have all these sugar daddies, spend enough money, each one gets 5 to 8%. Well, that adds up after time, and that helps Trump. But more, moreover, so, so you might be like, well, what, what are they running for if they know they can't win? And they know Trump's going to win, and Trump's going to get defeated. That's exactly the point. DeSantis wins the nomination. He wins the general. And he's president for eight years. But moreover, he takes over the messaging. The party gets remade in his image. See, under Trump, this didn't happen because he's such a clown and so distracted. And then even when he is not endorsing the establishment, which he usually does down the ballot, but even if he doesn't, it allowed the other guys to operate because he's not serious. So they're like, oh, you do your thing, but we'll continue the serious aspect of policy. And when I say serious, they take it in a direction that obviously you and I don't want to go to. Whereas DeSantis will monopolize the messaging of policy. So it will make it much harder for the establishment to operate in plain sight against the party leader. Ironically, with Trump, I I'm telling you, they thrived. Go down the roster of governors and senators we have. We have not moved the ball one inch. One inch in numbers. At all. Some of that's because he's endorsed horrible people, but some of that's also, it's just, because he's not serious about issues, it allows them to just kiss up to his personality and say, I love Trump, and then he's fine with it. Whereas with DeSantis, let's say DeSantis becomes the nominee. Let's say he becomes the party leader, becomes president. And you have all these like, Republican governors trying to kiss up to green energy companies. It's not going to happen because he's going to bang against that. So then the voters are going to be, are you with DeSantis? Again, I don't mean like a cult-like way, but it's always been that way. Trump, Bush, Reagan. You know, as long as the party leader is is uh, um, popular with the party, it's, it's hard for the elected reps. You all have a few on the fringe. But the majority of the deep red state officials will not be able to cross the party leader. That's another way this really, really matters. But that is what these guys don't want. They're out of business. Whereas Trump wins, he loses the general, 
they get to run in 2028. If you're think about it, if you're Christy Nome, if you're Greg Abbott, if you're Tim Scott, if you're any one of these people, of course you want Trump to win the nomination. Right? You know you can't win this cycle. You can't get through Trump. To the extent anyone could, it would only be DeSantis, and that's going to be tough. You can't get through him. So you want to raise your name ID now, but make sure Trump actually does win the nomination. This is what we're seeing. It's a big, big moral hazard. It's the same thing with all these outside people. They know they can't go wrong slobbering around him. And again, it's true on immigration. It's true on the climate stuff. It's true on the biomedical fascism. Every day, DeSantis is fighting against the biomedical security state. Those of you who care about this issue, I don't understand how you could not see the contrast. This is what I'm excited about for his run. It's a point no one else is making. To me, I am more bullish on the necessity of one of us being the party leader than even being president. Because all of the things we want to do down ballot in the red states and and just in these debt ceiling fights, these, these budget fights, if you don't have a leader that controls the messaging, image, policy, direction, money even, of the party, you will never change it if you don't change it from the top. That's the big thing. Even if, you, even if you're one of those that, that's more bullish on Trump, that you're more favorably disposed towards him. But you have to concede that he kind of just does his own thing. He doesn't lead the party, except if you cross him personally, then he'll use his clout. But that's why all these rhinos got very smart. The worst of the worst, the Tim Scotts, the Lindsey Grahams, the Cindy Hyde Smiths, go through that whole roster of horrible, horrible, horrible McConnell, or some even to the left of McConnell, uh, red state senators. They just got smart. Elise Stefanik pioneered that. Initially, in 2016, it was more the conservatives who supported Trump. But then all the rhinos are like, all right, we'll just kiss up to him if we're from a red state and continue doing what we do. He won't mind. He'll, he'll actually downright give us an endorsement, and that will preempt any chance we have for a primary challenge. Now, imagine DeSantis being party leader, president, but not so much for the purpose of being president in itself, but all these like Kevin Stitt type of dudes and doing what they're doing and totally being out of sync with his messaging, that creates an entirely different grassroots opportunity. That's why, to me, I see this as, as a huge opportunity with him running. Again, I, I, I agree. It's, it's the issues, it's the legislation, it's the state legislatures, it's the gubernatorial elections that should matter more than president. But they don't matter because we can't get a movement together, because we can't gain traction on anything, because we don't have a leader at the top giving voice to this. We just don't. And until then, we're going to have Republicans off message, even when we try to get them to do the right thing. So that's the issue on that. I want to get to some of the more healthcare, medical freedom issues later this week. We'll also have some guests on. Let me know what you feel we're not covering. That is a vital issue to focus on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.